2016, the A&E Network had filmed and edited an eight-episode series about Scientology that has never aired. We've always been curious about this show, produced by Sirens Media, and the person who was meant to be its presenter and star. So in this limited podcast series, we're talking to some of the people who were involved in it. Previously, we've talked to Phil Jones, Derek Block, and Carol Nyberg about the episodes they were involved in that tried to reunite them with loved ones who had disconnected from them according to Scientology policy. Today, we're talking to Katrina Reyes. If you haven't seen our stories about her incredible personal story about becoming a third-generation Scientologist from Siberia, we spend some time going over that history. We also talk about the dramatic showdown in Clearwater she had with the Sirens crew filming and with both Scientology security guards and local police. Katrina Reyes, thank you so much for joining me on this special limited podcast series. Um, we've known each other for a long time. I've written about you a few times. How are you doing? Doing good. Life is uh, moving on. Life is moving Okay. Well, you know, to prepare for this, I went and looked at a couple of those stories, and your story is so complex. There's so many layers to it. Yeah, it's not uh, the normal, typical story, I think. I mean, so many of the things that we're concerned about watching Scientology come up in your case about, you know, people being taken across, you know, international lines to because Scientology brings in a lot of people from overseas. The fact you signed a sealed contract when you were like 11 years old. That's another thing that we're concerned about with Scientology. Um, you know, and just in your, your third generation, right? I mean, it was your grandmother that first got the family into this. Yeah. I'm third generation. And you and your mother came over and joined the Sea Org. Like I said, you were 11 years old. And um, I, I don't know what you expected, but, I, you know, you, you soon found yourself in this mildewy apartment with six bunk beds in Clearwater doing menial labor at 11 or 12 years old. I mean, that must have just been so shocking. Uh, yeah, it was shocking only, I mean, one of the reasons why it was so shocking is because <clears throat> the picture that was painted to us was like this beautiful, you know, this beautiful compound with a pool and a fitness center and this beautiful pictures of apartments and uh, it kind of all ended up being a lie. Yeah. And, I mean, what did you think, what kind of work did you think, did your mother think that you guys would be doing? Well, originally we were told, you know, you're mostly going to be doing, um, uh, they didn't particularly say which work, but they just said, you know, children are going to be studying, uh, they're going to be studying Scientology courses, and they will be going to school, to regular schooling, and get an education. You will work because, you know, you need to contribute. You can't be a freeloader and things like that. But, you know, they paint it out like it's just going to be, you know, a lot of studying and a work here, you know, some hours of work, but nothing crazy. And you shared a photograph with me of, of the night 
the you know the year 2000 started big big celebration night and the photograph you shared me with me you told me were basically all the russian recruits there at flag and there was a whole room full of people so this i mean this was kind of a regular thing that scientology was doing was bringing people over from places like russia yeah and not only russia it, it seems like they would um pick people from kind of like the post-Soviet Union countries that maybe weren't economically as developed and, uh, you know, like Czech Republic uh, uh, and uh, like Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan as well. Um, basically selling them this American dream, you know, we're going to bring you to America. And of course, everybody's signing up for that. But when they get there, their passport is taken. They're given this menial job of staying in this, you know, six people to a room situation. And you were getting paid, what, 25 to $50 a week, right? Yeah. So while you're doing the boot camp, uh, the RPF, you get like 20 something bucks, 25 bucks minus taxes. And then when you become an official Sierra member, it is 50 bucks minus taxes. It's like 46, 47 bucks. Wow. I mean, you did this from like 11 to 18, all these years that you should have been out, you know, in school and, and meeting people. And, and I just, what did your and your and did you ever like discuss with your mother like what is our future like what what are what are we doing here? Yeah, I was. Um, I don't think that I ever bought into this whole ideal aspect of it. Um, kind of like dedicating my entire life to it. Um, you know, in Clearwater, you have a lot of, uh, obviously, you have a lot of Scientologists who have a regular life, and then, you know, they come in for services, and I would see, uh, you know, same kids my age, teenagers, and they're living this normal life, although their parents are Scientologists, but, and they're Scientologists, but they're living this normal life, you know, of going to high school and getting their first car and, uh, you know, just enjoying life and going out to the movies. And I was always kind of wanting to just have that freedom. Yeah. Um, I didn't mind continue like doing Scientology, but I just hated being in the Sea Org. Sure. Because it literally felt like a prison. And meanwhile, your mom was like, uh, getting responsibility and stuff. I mean, she was, I guess, succeeding by their their scale of success. Yeah, she slowly but surely moved up in the ranks, and she started out as uh, basically a cleaning person. And uh, over like ten years, I think, oh, yeah, about ten years, she slowly but surely moved up to uh, pretty much being in the real world, you would be like a manager of hotels. And uh, just to give a little background to the people that may not be that familiar with it, this is all taking place at the Flag Land Base, which is what Scientology calls its campus in Clearwater, Florida. And it's a very important site in Scientology because you can be a Scientologist in 
in Budapest and Mexico City and Los Angeles, but you have to come to Clearwater for certain upper level, very expensive processes on the Scientology bridge. And so people come from all over the world there and and it's it's Scientology's single biggest moneymaker. Flag makes more money in a about as much money in a week as the rest of its uh, facilities combined. So what they need is a staff there that's you know pretty much working 24 hours a day making sure that this this factory is operating at top speed so that these these people flying in can be put in their hotel room brought to their courses and you know just so the money keeps coming in so that's why you need these workers cleaning things and setting things up and Americans, I guess, are, are not that interested in doing it. And so they're bringing people in from South America and Eastern Europe. And that's what FLAG is all about. And that's where you found yourself sort of kind of an indentured servant. Mm, yeah, like, uh, I think the better way to describe it would be like uh, uh, a prison uh work camp <laughs> okay a prison work camp but then at 18 you got a chance to go back home uh for a, a trip to uh see some family and friends and um unfortunately while you were there you were a victim of crime and you came back uh to the u.s and and you were in pain and you believed you'd been sexually assaulted and and the crime you then committed in scientology's eyes was that you went to the people you worked for in the Sea Org and said, look, I have concerns. I want to go to the hospital. I want to be checked out. I'm feeling some pain. I want to make sure I will see what happened to me. And that in Scientology, if you are a victim of crime, it's considered your own fault. And how did they react to you simply asking to go to the hospital and get checked out and see what had happened to you? Um right away i was isolated from everybody uh and right away i was interrogated um they put me on their famous e-meter and interrogated me for a couple couple it was about a couple of weeks altogether I honestly don't remember exactly how, how many days a couple of weeks of interrogation when all you wanted was some medical attention to, to see what had happened to you when you were back at home in Russia. Yeah. And just to make a correction, that wasn't a pleasantly, that wasn't like a trip because uh, I just wanted to. Yeah. Tell me why you had gone family. home. Um, so the reason why I went back home was because um, it, basically in Russia, uh, when uh like in united states when a baby's born they automatically have a passport right and an infant can have a passport but in russia uh children are written in in into the passport of their uh parents okay so technically i never had my own passport and you're supposed and you're allowed to have your own passport when you turn 18 of age so that's so, why you went home to get you went home yes. to get a passport, I see. So legally because I had I already had my green card and in order for me to continue uh, uh and get my citizenship, I would need to have a passport. 
So technically, it was a legal issue that I had to go and get a citizenship passport. Gotcha. Okay. And now you're back. You 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 you're trying to get some attention that you deserve, and they're treating you like a criminal. Yes, it was pretty much in Scientology. There's no such a thing as a victim. Uh, basically, anything that happens to you is because uh, they use they have a term. It's called pulled it in, which right. means that I have done something bad, and now it's kind of like karma is coming back to to get me. And it could be in this lifetime or in previous lifetimes. Right. And so what did they end up doing with you after all these interrogations? Uh, you know, they were interrogating me. I was cooperating. Um, and uh, eventually some of the questions in interrogation got a little, uh, how can I describe this? Mm, a little bit too uh, disgusting. I guess I don't know. Yeah. It just crossed the line of certain okay. of just morally they have crossed the line. Okay. And I pretty much said I'm done. I'm like I'm not doing this anymore. This is too much. Uh which then I was pretty much told, well, if you're not gonna cooperate with us and not answer the questions that we're asking you, then you're gone. We're kicking you out and uh we're sending you back to Russia. So you were declared, removed from the Sea Org, and sent back to Russia. I wasn't declared yet. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. Uh, they threatened me with being declared, but okay. they didn't declare me yet. Um, but yes, they basically said, we're kicking you out from the Sea Org, and uh, you're going back to Russia, which I fought them on. I was trying to understand why they would be sending me back to Russia, because like I said, I already had a green card. I was completely legally to stay in the United States. Uh, but the philosophy is if I would have hung around, especially in the United States or in Clearwater, I could have possibly gotten in contact with my mom and try to get her out. And so they wanted me uh, furthest away from my family. Wow. And, um, and I think one of the things that hit me the hardest when I was working on this story with you several years ago was the reaction you said your mom had to all this happening to you. Yeah. So because I was isolated and I wasn't allowed to speak to anybody else, but the security personnel and ethics people that were dealing with me, there was only a few people that I was allowed to talk to. I had, um, I, I was literally isolated. I mean, I was sleeping in a complete separate apartment away from everybody. Uh, they had somebody watch me all the time, and um, I was not allowed to have any contact or speak to anybody else. And eventually, the night, you know, when they told me that's it, you're leaving, we're kicking you out. They allowed my mother to come and see me uh, to say goodbye. And when I spoke to her and I explained everything to her, um, her reaction was: I asked her, I said, uh, you know, you're coming with me, right? Like. I, I can't do this on my own. You're coming with me. And her reaction was, no, I can't. I can't come with you. I'm going to stay here. And you had not lived in Russia since you were 11 years old. 
Yes. And and now you're being sent back there and you're like, well, you know, mom, you're coming with me. Right. And and she's too dedicated to Scientology at that point. Incredible. Yeah. Yep. So uh, you went back to <clears throat> Russia. You worked um, uh, for a Scientologist. I think your grandmother set that up. And and another such a terrible detail is when you leave or you're kicked out of Scientology, they then hit you with what's called a freeloader's debt. Uh, they claim that all of the training that you received and any courses, um, you should now have to pay for. It's completely illegal, but Scientologists feel like they have to pay it or they're, you know, they could lose contact to their family, that kind of thing. And so you were, you were actually paying some of that while you're in Russia, which I imagine was difficult to make a living anyway, right? Yes. So I, uh, I think my original bill was 20 something thousand dollars and then I was able to negotiate it down, um, because some of the courses they charged me for, I didn't complete, um, like they charged me for a purification right down and I never finished it. Um, and then also, um, because I did some, uh, a lot of this, a lot of the courses and stuff that I did was, I was underage, so technically, if you're underage, they should give you a different price. Um, I was able to negotiate it down to like five thousand one hundred and change. I, I don't remember the exact, but it's a, a roughly fifty five fifty one hundred. Okay. And uh, in two years, I paid it all off. Yes. Oh God, that's just terrible. I'm sorry you how you did that. I mean, it wasn't just because I thought it was the right thing to do. I was literally was told, if you don't pay this off and if you don't do what they call lower conditions, because when you when they left me, they declared me that I was an enemy, that I was in a condition of enemy. So, you know, you have to do these certain conditions. Um, and a lot of those things uh, is to, since I'm an enemy and I have caused damage to the organization, I need to make up the damage that I caused, which means they basically lost uh, a lifetime slave labor. <laughs> right. So I had to make up the damage and all that had to be done voluntarily. I was doing a lot of voluntary uh, things in the Moscow org. They were moving at one point from one building to another. And I was doing English lessons to some of the Scientologists for free. All that, it was about uh, 200 some hours of quote unquote dedicating paying back to Scientology that I did, that I had to do. So between paying back the debt and doing those conditions, uh, those were the terms that were stated to me that I had to do in order to stay in touch with my family. Otherwise, if I refused to do those things, they would declare me as a person and I would have no more contact with my family. And you actually then worked to get yourself back to Clearwater, right? Yes. Yes, and you, so, want, you, you wanted to be around your mother. Yes, obviously I wanted to be close to my mom. Yes. Uh, and the, the, one of the wonderful things about your story, amid all this terrible treatment by Scientology, was on your flight to Florida in September 
2008, you flight from Russia stops in JFK in New York, you met a guy at the airport. Yes, I did. <laughs> Jose Reyes uh, turns out to be a real nice guy, very polite, and um, just wonderful luck. So uh, you go on, you fly on to Florida, and um, then there's more trouble with Scientology, right? Yeah, so in order for me to come back to Clearwater, I had to get a permission. I literally had to write uh, write, write up uh, uh, what's called a CSW. Oh, I forgot what it stands for. Um, and uh, it's basically asking for permission to do anything in Scientology. You right. always have to ask for permission. And uh, I was told that I could not come back to Clearwater until I pay off my freeloader debt and until I finish uh, doing those conditions and doing all that voluntary work and all that stuff, uh, which I finished. And um, they said, okay, that's fine. You can come back. They approved it. They told me you can come back. The only condition is that you cannot come in into any Scientology buildings in Clearwater or be within, you know, very close vicinity. I said, that's fine. No problem. And, uh, I end up going to a bank to open up an American bank account. I don't have, you know, coming from another country, you have to get all that stuff in order. And they happen to have a zero members in that bank. And I was right away called in. Uh, by the security, I was told uh, that there was a, you know, that I breached the conditions that I was, a, that they approved for me to come because I ran into CREG members and um, they are, they pretty much told me I have 24 hours to get out of Clearwater or otherwise they will declare me again as a person person and again, <sighs> I would never be able to see my mother. Jeez. So at that point, I ended up uh, moving to Orlando. But again, on the good side of things, you got to start seeing Jose. And, exactly. And um, in fact, decided to get married. And then the issue was, could you get your mother there? Because she's still completely dedicated to the Sea Org. And Scientology doesn't want you around. And, uh, that, and then that was a big negotiation right to get her there mm, it wasn't a huge negotiation but there were things basically throughout all those years uh obviously Scientology kind of kept an eye on me and my mother did come and visit me uh I ended up moving from Orlando to New York because that's where my husband was living and from uh and my mom did end up coming and visit visiting, but it was very rare. It was about once a year for maybe two days, three days. Mm -hmm. That's it, tops. Um, because you know they don't get vacation. And um, when you know when she would come, I realized that she was kind of also um, reporting back on some of the things about me. So at one point I started uh, going and uh, seeing a therapist and getting some trauma therapy and I left um, 
the business card of the therapist on the fridge. And then my mother saw it one of the times that she came to visit and she almost had a fit because in Scientology, it's a big no-no to see any psychologist, psychiatrist, therapists. And um, as far as I understand, she uh, reported that back. So they would consistently call me and ask me, you know, about those things and try to again one of their terminologies handle me you know try to tell me you can't do that you can't go and see psychiatrists you need to come in into a Scientology uh, org in New York and we you know we, 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 we will help you there but you can't go to therapists and psychiatrists and psychologists then I think I was kind of on their radar, so they were consistently keeping an eye on me because they would consistently check my social media. I would receive phone calls about the fact that I am friends, you know, with somebody on Facebook who is an enemy to Scientology and all this stuff. And it just became, it literally kind of became a harassment at this point, at that point. And, um, in order for my mom to come, uh, she told me that I need to quote unquote, straighten, straighten everything out, basically delete everybody who I have friends on Facebook, who was enemy to Scientology, uh, talk to somebody over there, explain why I even had them as friends. What were the conversations? Uh, and then also, promise uh, not to uh, go back to therapy um and I had to do all that before they allowed my mother to come back again to see me and that was right around my I think right around my wedding time that and I again I mean pretty much this is... just lied <laughs> and I said yes I'm not going to therapy I'm not talking to anybody I'm not going to therapy everything is great yeah Scientology hates psychiatry with a white hot fury and that comes from the founder l ron hubbard who uh in his writings claimed that psychiatrists have been around for trillions of years uh not just a little over 100 years and that uh they have implanted us with booby traps in our own heads that are trillions of years old and that basically psychiatry is the most evil force in the universe i mean this is this is central to Scientology's conception about itself and that you, you know, you just, the worst thing you can do in a Scientologist's eyes is to, you know, see a therapist <laughs> and they, and, you know, they actually have a front group that tries to agitate against the mental health profession because I guess they think Scientology can replace it, whatever. But again, the thing that's just so bizarre is, you know, you've got this woman who's completely dedicated down in Clearwater, helping to run their Sandcastle hotel for these wealthy Scientologists that are coming in. Uh, to, to give donations and do their upper level processing. And her daughter is in New York, married to a great guy, and they're obsessed with her social media. I mean, it's just so bizarre that there was so much effort expended to harass you, watch you like a hawk. You know, you got in trouble because you'd become friends on Facebook with people like Tom DeVott and Jason Begay. And this is what this was like too much for the church. And they finally 
you know, forced your mother to cut off contact with you entirely simply because you had, you know, talked to a few people online, right? Well, um, the thing is that for for many years, I've kind of just played along, right? And they would tell me, you know, you can't have contact with those people. And I'm like, yes, I don't have contact with those people. And I would just sometimes delete them off my friends, uh, you know, my friends list, but I would have their personal information. I would still talk to them. It's just not on social media, out in the open. Um, so I was kind of like a yes man, just kind of like, you know, I will tell you anything as long as you leave me alone as lo- and as long as, you know, I can continue talk to my mom. Um, but then at one point, I think it just, I don't know, I don't know. I just kind of had like a switch in my head and I, and I was like, you know what, I'm tired. I'm tired of playing this game. I'm tired of constantly, you know, trying, you know, I have to play by the rules and I'm kind of being blackmailed now for many years with my family. And, uh, I just said, you know what, it was one of those days where, again, it's a phone call on a Saturday morning, eight o'clock in the morning, again, with the, you know, you like the picture of, uh, Tom DeVox's uh, uh, dog on Facebook. Um, and I was like, you know what, I, I don't know. I just said, you know what, I'm, I'm done. Like, I don't, I really don't care. You want to declare me, you declare me, uh, you know, if my mother decides that she's going to stay dedicated and she's not going to talk to me because you told her so, then so be it. I, I don't know. I just, I got sick and tired, I guess. So and, by, no, by November 2014, your yes. mother had then cut off all contact with you and you were declared in January 2015 or you, you received a... Uh, information about that so well that's okay so now we've given this background like i said your story is complex it's terrible all these things you went through since you were 11 years old scientology trying to run your life keeping you know your mother being so dedicated and uh now finally by 2014 you are out you've been cut off from your mother well that just happens to be about the time that Sirens Media was starting up this effort to put together a show. So now this is what I'd, I'd, I'd really like to hear from you is how did you first hear about this series and what did you what were you told that it was going to be? So, oh my God, I don't remember who I originally heard it from, to tell you the truth. Um, oh my God, it's been so long. Um it might have been uh Aaron uh yeah and it was basically I was told that that, uh Amy or Science Media was doing the show for Amy um and the premises of the show was basically trying to reconnect families that have been disconnected by Scientology um and I, I, the, the main idea was to try to get in contact with my mother and uh, see what happens. I mean, at that point, I mean, I think, uh, I think the, I obviously people wanted a good outcome, and I remember when I was first kind of talking to 
the producers and everything and um uh kind of that first uh not an interview but kind of interaction uh I guess they re- you know obviously it's a TV show although it's a reality TV show but it's a TV show so of course they wanted a good happy ending and did I they, did way, they really did they really think they were going to get one um I think they were hoping for one <laughs> that maybe possibly they could get one um but I pretty much right away told them that's probably not going to happen not probably but it's not going to happen but I didn't mind doing it because in my mind it would show the people uh, the real horrors of disconnection and how hard it is to even get hold of your loved ones. And even if it's a sad ending and it's a bad ending and the family is not reconnected, it is still um, just pure reality. Of well, it makes the point, right? It makes the point yes. about what families are going through. Yes. So what was the first step for you? Did they come up and film you at your house or did you go down there? Um, at first I kind of just did, um, yeah, they came to my house and, uh, it it was more of like, you know, just my background story and how I got into Scientology and everything like that. Um, and then the plan was, that uh we would be going down to Clearwater that um and basically the plan was we're gonna go down there and we're gonna try to uh basically see if your mother is walking on the street and if we see her walking on the street that you could talk to her because obviously you know going into buildings and things like that is forbidden um so we got down there. Um, uh, I think they switched the flights last minute uh, because the film crew went ahead. And I remember when the executive uh, producer, uh, when they landed in Tampa Airport right away, they got they got um, met with uh, the OSA staff of the baggage claim. Oh wow. So Scientology knew that this film crew is coming to film and they knew exactly who they are and everything else. And, um, basically they switched my flight because I was supposed to fly with, fly with all of them on the same flight. Um, and they switched my flight so that I can go away from everybody because I explained to them that if Scientology gets a whiff that I am coming and they find out that I'm coming, uh, they pretty much going to lock up my mother in some building and not let her out. So it had to be, I mean, it was almost like, I don't know, like a spy show, like a spy movie. Um, they pretty much had to hide me, uh, you know, all these places. The vans are have blacked out windows. They literally taped black garbage bags. <laughs> so <laughs> nobody could see my face. Um, and even like the hotel we were staying at, it, it was far away. I had to come in through back entrances and it, 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 they were really trying to hide me really well mm-hmm. um, because obviously they knew Scientology was following them around and private investigators were following them around. And obviously Scientology was trying to figure it out. What is this film crew 
doing here? Who are they filming? What are they doing? Um, and uh, then the plan was that I was just going to, mm, they're going to stake out, they're going to have people, and I think they even hired their own private investigators, uh, pretty much have a stakeout and uh, look, uh, just wait for that opportunity in that moment when my mother is walking on the street because they walk between the buildings a lot. And what at that point, what was your understanding that your mother's post was and where she was working at the base? I knew that she was the manager of the St. Castle and the Osceola Hotel. So we were around those buildings. We were, you know, staking out around that area. Um, also trying to be in cognito, not, you know, stick out, not because, you know, there's cameras everywhere around those buildings and things like that. So, uh, most of the time, uh, uh, we would, uh, park in the Clearwater Library parking lot. Um, and yeah. then we would switch cars. And then go park somewhere else next to another building. So it was, it, it literally was like a stakeout. Um, we were there for about two days and we didn't see her. And I have a feeling Scientology already kind of knew that I was coming. Um, because there was a ton of Syriac members walking on the street. Um and it was so surreal to me because I'm seeing all these people that I knew yeah. that are still in there. Wow. But I did not see her. So then the decision was we're going to pack up for now and we're going to go back home. Oh, and I forgot to mention, I was also five months pregnant <laughs> during all of that. I was also and, five and months And was pregnant. Jose with you on that trip? Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> yes. And, um, you know, they only had a certain amount of days to film and everything and schedule and they had have to go somewhere else already to film somebody else. So schedule wise, we had to finish. And uh, pretty much I was told that if I would like to come back uh, to let them know and we can try again. So I went back home and I said, you know what? Yeah, like, I would like to come back and try again. But this time we have to do it smarter uh, so that they don't know that I'm coming. Um, because as far as I understand, Scientology has their own uh, travel agencies and they have, they have access to flight lists and passenger manifests and things like that. So um, basically, they actually did a really good job. Uh, uh, the plan for the second trip was they flew me out again, completely separate from the film crew. They flew me out to Miami. Uh, and then from there, they rented an RV because they also were trying to accommodate me being pregnant and sitting in the minivan for four hours while you're pregnant right. uh, was not comfortable. <laughs> yeah. So, and then also the RV was kind of like um, a good way to blend in in a city like Clearwater where you know a lot of people right. drive you know it's a vacation spot beach and stuff like that and who is going to suspect us you know an RV um 
So uh, I came in, you know, in Miami. We drove in the RV to uh, Tampa. I mean, to Clearwater. No, we drove to Tampa. Uh, very remote uh, hotel in Tampa. Uh, not under my name or anything. Um, and from there, we drove in the morning in the RV to back again to Clearwater around uh, St. Castle and around um, uh, Osceola Hotels. Uh, the first day, we did not see her. But then the second day, um, I remember we were sitting in the RV and uh, they... Uh, I think there was a private investigator who was also kind of scouting out and and keeping an eye on the streets uh and all of a sudden they get a radio in she is crossing the street she is crossing the street and uh we pull up i jump out i jump in the in a in a uh, suv and i pull up and she was crossing the street between osceola and thane castle and um, she didn't see me because she's, she already has her back to me. So I jump out of the car and I just, I literally say it in Russian, like, mom. And she turns around uh, and she just has this uh, horrified look on her face. Oh. And then she literally runs away from me. Oh. So at this point, how long had it been since you had last seen her? So this was May 2016, so a year and a half, about a year. About and a half. year and a half, okay. And but there was something else happened in that year and a half. So right after, so the last time I saw her was August 2013. That's when I physically saw her, and that's when I got married. And then in to uh, basically 2015, I got pregnant. Uh, we we started planning our family right away, and um, we lost the son. Hmm, sorry. And it was very hard for me to go through all of that. I, you know, as a as a I guess having that mother-daughter relationship you were thinking I'm going to be giving birth and my mother is going to be next to me and you know she's going to be a grandmother it's just all of those things that regular people do um I really felt like I really wished I would have had her there for me um and she knew that our son has passed away and um she did not reach out to me at all because uh, our relatives in Russia basically communicated that to her. So this was, I was pregnant with our second son. And um, I guess my hope was if I did get a chance to see her and talk to her was to kind of try to get to her on human level of you're going you know 
you are already a grandmother, although your other grandson is not alive, but you're going to have another grandson. And like, do you really want to lose, lose being in his life for this? Like I was really trying to get to her on a human level. That, I guess that was my plan at least. Yeah. Um, so she, you know, she ran away and she saw that I was pregnant. And I mean, I was, I was, I was big. I was pregnant. You couldn't, you couldn't miss it. Right. <laughs> it wasn't, uh, I was showing quite a lot. And I was, um, I don't know. I had a whole bunch of different emotions running through me. I was mad. I was upset. Um, and then, you know, the film crew kind of told me, hey, you know, oh, we'll bring it back to the hotel. We'll give you some time to kind of, you know, settle down, calm down, go through the emotions. We're not going to pry. Um, and I also had a, a high-risk pregnancy as well. So I was taking a chance, also traveling and flying. And I had to do it before my six months because I was told after six months, I cannot fly. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, Sirens was very, you know, I guess I was expecting, you know, this, uh, uh, you know, when you think of a reality show, you think that, you know, they're going to pry into you and they would want to document all of your emotions and everything, but they were very, very understanding. They never pushed anything. And, you know, even the fact that I was going through all those emotions, they weren't prying on, Oh, let's film you, you know, having a mental breakdown. (laughs) It was kind of like, we will, we will take it back have some time you know to kind of process all of this um and then you know we'll get back to you in a little bit so we went back to the hotel I kind of processed everything and I I don't know why but I just decided you know what um I think I was taught I think this whole time those two attempts that when we came to see her I felt like I constantly had to hide and hide and hide and afraid and afraid of Scientology and for some reason I just had this feeling of I'm gonna take um I almost wanted to take my power back if if that makes sense (laughs) so things back into your own hands yeah, like I was tired of being afraid of them. I was tired of hiding and all this stuff. And I said, you know what? I'm just gonna. I called. I called the executive producer and I said, listen, I'm gonna go back. Uh, if you guys don't want to, you know, if you don't want to be involved, that's fine. But I have made a decision that I'm gonna go back to the to Scientology Hotel. I know where she works. I know what building she's in. And I'm just going to march my little butt in there, uh, walk up to the uh, hotel front desk and uh, ask to speak to her like any other normal human being would do. Right. <laughs> right. right. Um, and then I said it and then and then they said, well, what's the plan afterwards? I was like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, whatever happens, it happens. But like, I'm tired. I'm tired of hiding. Like, that's it. Like, this is not cool. (laughs) 
So they said, okay, fine. Uh, we are just gonna, if, uh, do you want it filmed? I said, yeah, sure. You can have it filmed. And, um, they said, okay, we're just gonna bring one, uh, one, we're not gonna bring the whole crew. It's just gonna be one cameraman and the executive producer and that's it. That's it. And we, that's what I did. We pulled up the car parked, the SUV parked, and right outside of Osceola Hotel. And uh, me and my husband walked in because, uh, you know, we told them don't bring the, the camera inside. Uh, we walked in and uh, the, the woman that was at the front desk, I knew from the time when I was in the Sea Org. And, uh, she was so shocked when she saw me and I was like, hi, um, how are you? I need to see my mother. And uh, you could see she was panicking as hell. And I knew because I've, I've, obviously I was there that they have all the front desks. They have a panic button, uh, at the, at, underneath the desk, which they oh, call wow. the security right away. So she's kind of panicking and she's like, uh, who are you? She's pretending like she doesn't know me. Uh, I said, who I am, who's your, you know, who are you looking for? I told her my mother and I told her the name and she's like, oh, there is nobody here who works by that name. And I was like, that's not true. Come on. Uh, I know you, you know me, you know my mother. Can you just have her come out and talk to me? And then right away, the security comes out. And I mean, it was seconds, it was literally 30 seconds. And, um, they, he was like a parrot and he would just keep repeating, you're trespassing. We're asking you to leave the private property. You're trespassing. We're asking you to leave the private property. You're trespassing. And they walk me out up to the, um, the sidewalk. So I'm standing there on the sidewalk and I'm thinking that somebody's gonna my expectation was especially after seeing some videos on the internet where uh remember when um other uh, who was it um uh, somebody went to see their son um mike rinder when he went to see his son was, at the Fort yeah, Harrison? yeah yeah it was mike rinder who went to see, and then you know security came out and they were talking to him and they were being nasty and all this stuff so that was my expectation that like, okay, I'm standing here on the sidewalk. Now they're going to come out and they're going to start talking to me. And it was so weird because about 10 security guards arrived. You could see a whole bunch of cars pulling in and they're all standing across the street on corners. And I am waving and I'm trying and I'm like, Hey, can I talk to you? And they're all walking away from me. They're literally avoiding me, but yet they're standing at the distance. They kind of surrounded me on four corners of the street or the intersection, but not contacting with me, not talking to me. To How me. bizarre. How bizarre. And of course they started closing the blinds everywhere and everything. And, all this stuff, and I'm like, okay, so maybe they're waiting for, I don't know, the point person, right? Like the security chief to come and talk to me, or Osa to come and talk to me. And I waited for about, oh my gosh, it was about 15, 20 minutes. 
And it was so awkward and bizarre to just stand there and they're across the street, but they're refusing to look at you or talk to you. And at that point, I was like, well, hell, um, I need to talk to them somehow. So I ended up just, I was like, how, how am I going to engage? I can't walk onto their property because they're purposefully standing. And, you know, if I walk up to them again, I am walking onto their property. I know I can't do that. I have to stay on the sidewalk. So uh, the first thought that came into my mind was, I'm going to call the cops. (laughs) I'm just going to call the cops. That's it. Like, uh, what else can I do? So I called the police and I said, hey, I need somebody to come out here and do a welfare check. And this is the situation. I asked to see my mother. They won't allow it to me. And the security personnel isn't talking to me. So I need somebody here who could talk to them. They're refusing to even talk to me. So, and at the same time, I am being told by the dispatcher that Scientology also already called the police. So, uh, two police cars come, one for Scientology and one for me, for my call. Um, and, uh, the police officer comes out, he kind of asks what's going on. And then, he sees the one cameraman and he's like, what's this about? And I was like, this is just from my safety for documentation. Uh, you know, if you don't want to be filmed, just let them know they're not going to show your face or anything. And, um, anyways, I explained the situation to them. I say, I want to have a welfare check done on my mother. He goes, okay, no problem. He goes across the street, talks, but then also people came, security chief came, uh, about four, about three cars of private investigators uh, that have been following the film crew uh, pulled up and we see them that they pulled up quite away in the distance, but we recognize that the, those people have been following the, the, the crew for some time. And uh, the police officer goes, he talks to them. Then I see him that he went into the St. Castle Hotel. Um, He came back out about 15 minutes later. Uh, But then the whole time while the police officer that I called was doing a welfare check on my mother, the police officer that Scientology called was standing there and talking to me and my husband. And it was a very odd interaction because... When I was trying to explain to him what's going on, he was kind of brushing me off and trying to switch conversations uh, to like, where are you from? Oh, you're from New York. What is your favorite burger joint? Uh, And I was very odd for me. Because, like, if you're a police officer and you're here on an official business and I'm trying to give you my complaint, explain to you my complaint, then you are totally refusing to listen to me and switching subjects to what's your favorite burger joint. Um, so I kind of got uh, a feeling that maybe he is very buddy-buddy with Scientology. Mm that particular police officer. And then um, the police officer that did the welfare check came back out. He said that uh, 
he saw her, he spoke to her, uh, he checked her wrists and other things too for bruises or anything like that. He did explain the situation, that I was outside, that I wanted to speak to her, and that she responded that she doesn't want to have any contact with me. Mm. Um, and that she's happily married and she's very happy in Scientology. Uh, which I asked him, when you spoke to her and you saw her, were those security guards and that also person uh, in the room? And he said they were in the same, they were in the vicinity. In that the vicinity. The okay. Right. Yes. So, um, he pretty much told me, you know, I can't do anything. She said she wants no contact with you, but you know, physically she looks okay. Um, and that's all I can do. And I said, okay, great. Well, thank you very much. Um, but then, uh, he said, hang on one second. He went to speak again to the security chief and to the OSA person. I think it was the woman, Sarah, Sarah, something. I forgot Sarah Heller, name. maybe. Yes, yes, yes. And um, he comes back and he goes, hey, so Scientology is going to file a non-trespass warning on you. And I was like, oh, whatever, that's fine. <laughs> so <laughs> so they started doing, you know, the paperwork. And, uh, you know, he's like, I need your ID and all this other stuff to file the paperwork. Okay, fine, whatever. Uh, he explained to me that he's going to fill in a form and that, the security chief, which was Antonio, oh my God, I forgot his last name, is going to come across the street and verbally give me the official warning. I said, okay, fine. So they do that. They fill in the paperwork. They come over. They just, they don't engage with me about any other conversation. Just like a robot again, you know, we're filing a trespass, not non-trespass warning on you. We're warning you that if you come onto our property again, you we will call the authorities and you will be arrested. Okay, great, thank you. And then I try to speak to them after they finish, and of course he just ignores me and walks away. Yeah. Um. Then something interesting happened was the cop that came for the Scientologist call. Uh, again, this is all happening across the street. Um, I see that he is giving my driver's license to the security chief and Scientologist security. And the Scientologist security pulls out a cell phone and takes a picture of it. So the Which, police had asked for your ID and then turned it over to the Scientology security chief. Yes, for a picture. Which was my driver's license. Yes. Right. Which I, I saw right away and I was like, oh, you know, I was like, hey. You know, I literally yelled across the street. I was like, what the hell are you doing? I mean, I got mad. Um, <laughs> and I was like, you, I, I mean, this, you're violating my rights. You're 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 giving somebody my driver's license and you're allowing them to photograph it. Like what the hell is wrong with you? And they were like, oh well, it's it's not that big of a deal because they have the they have all of your information on the 
on a non-trespass warrant, uh, on a warning, you know, on the paperwork, they're going to have your name, your address and everything. Like, and I'm like, it's the principle of it. Like, it might have my name and my address, but not my driver's license ID number. And they're definitely not going to have a picture of my driver's license. Like, this is, you're literally violating my rights. What the hell is wrong with you? Um, which they said, okay, no worries, no worries. They went back, um, and they told me that they made them delete the picture, which I have no proof of it. I just had to believe their words that they made Scientology security delete the picture. Off so the what did the sirens people think about this extra encounter that, that had happened with the police and everything? Uh, they, like I said, it was just the producer and the cameraman and they just kind of, the producer stayed in the car. He never got out. So it was just the cameraman and, you know, we, I kind of told them don't interfere. Like if you want to just film it, film it, but don't interfere. So they weren't saying anything. There was no, there was no communication that whole time with the, the sirens crew at all whatsoever the cameraman was just standing and filming and but then afterwards i mean was there sort of a post oh yes um i mean after that after i told them that they have to delete the picture then uh, you know that was it you know the cops left and everything and um i said can i get the police report they told me where to get the police report and everything uh and then we left and i mean they were kind of in shock a little bit in shock, uh, especially about the cops thing that that cop was just so willy nilly and so buddy buddy and friendly with the security guards. I mean, the security guards were literally leaning against his police car. Well, this goes way back in that city. There's been a long, yes. well documented yes. history between these two groups the police there and the Church of Scientology. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, the producer was kind of like, holy hell, what just happened? Like, this was a lot. Are you okay? Um, and I was like, I'm, I'm fine. Like, I actually kind of felt vindicated. I don't know. I was like, I called the cops on Scientology. Like, I don't mm -hmm. know. That felt, that felt good because I was, <laughs> you're, you're always afraid. I mean, I've been afraid all my life. Um, and, um, that was it. I mean, we, that was it. We got back to the hotel and, uh, I said, that's it. I think I'm done. There's nothing else I can do. And, and I'm done. Did and, they tell you about, you know, that they were, they, they believed they were going to be able to put together an episode based on what had happened though? Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, they were actually saying, we don't know how we're going to edit all of this to kind of fit into one episode. It's a lot. Um, especially even just the last interaction of me calling the police and, and having the welfare check done. Um, yeah, so I was pretty much told, um, you know, we have a couple other episodes to finish shooting and you know, then it's going to go to post-production and editing and everything else and wait for the release date. 
And what uh, what was Jamie DeWolf's role in all this? Were you working with him during all this? Uh, so Jamie DeWolf was uh, more of like um, the interviewer. So when they came to film in my house, he was kind of, you know, the person who would sit with you and kind of interview you. And so he was kind of like the, uh, I guess, the host <laughs> of right. Novania. Right, yeah. presenter, whatever, yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, and how well did you get to know him? Uh, not too much because we only filmed, like in my house, we filmed for a little bit. And then the first trip to Clearwater, he was with us. He filmed, again, the first trip that we came, um, we didn't really cross too much because uh, Sirens was hiding me. And yeah. Scientology already knew that Jamie DeWolf was in town. I see. So we couldn't really cross paths <laughs> anywhere. And then Carol and then said that she thought, Carol said she thought they were going to kind of pair your stories with her looking for her daughter and you looking for her mother. Yeah. So um, at one point when the first time we came, uh, Jamie did come, but it was like in this quote-unquote safe house <laughs> uh jamie came in for shooting and carol came in for shooting and somebody else who is um i guess somebody who does deprogramming uh and helping people getting out of cults um so it was more of a, like a, a mental health care professional uh -huh. who specializes in deprogramming cults um and we filmed for like half a day and it was it was mostly like, okay, what's the plan? How we're gonna, you know, how we're gonna go and oh, and the private investigator was there, kind of telling uh, what her patterns, what my mother's patterns are, and then I think they brought in Carol because Carol knew me and the, and she knew my mom and she also worked in Saint Castle. Oh, that's right. You all worked together. Yeah. Um, and then Jamie was there for a little bit, so it was, it was kind of like a short little mm, introduction to Carol. I guess to kind of vouch for me that like I knew this 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 girl, and I knew her, I knew her, I know her mother, and then the uh, healthcare professional to kind of walk through, um you know, this, what possibly her reactions, my mother reactions could be what to expect, what not to expect. And, uh, to kind of coach me through, uh, you know, maybe not to say certain triggering words and things like that. Don't attack her, you know, don't, don't be angry. Um, if I had a chance to talk to her. Um, so it was, you know, it was kind of like a, a very helpful, half a day of coming up with a plan and right and it and it seems like they had plenty of material i mean you have an amazing backstory an 11 year old sea Org worker brought from siberia to florida this you know terrible things that happened to you and then scientology punishing you for being a victim and then just being surveilled and harassed and finally your mother cutting off contact with you and then trying to see her again and being just 
tur- or just turning on her heel and walking away from you. I mean, it just seems like they had plenty of material. Um, and I, you know, I've talked to Phil and Will, uh, Phil Jones and Derek Block about their episodes and Carol. It, it just seemed like there was plenty to go on, and they had really filmed some emotional, dramatic scenes, and then just nothing happened, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, uh, we were told we did we did get we did get we did get a release date. Originally, I think the release date was so I finished filming in May of twenty sixteen. Yes, and the release date was supposed to be, um, I think March ninth, if I'm not. Uh, it was at the beginning of two thousand seventeen. Okay, that was supposed to be the release date. We did had an official date, and then things were just uh you know we were we were thinking okay uh we were told there's going to be um like snippets and commercials on any you know like a preview to announce you know this is going to be the release date of this new show and then it was like hmm the preview didn't come on any they didn't announce anything it's not in the schedule and uh we I personally called uh, A&E and the executive producers at A&E and I was kind of getting a runaround at the beginning. Yeah, we're working on it. We're working on it. We don't know yet. We don't know yet. It's being postponed. It's being postponed. And then the release date came and gone, obviously, and... Then they just stopped picking up the phones and stopped calling back. And that was it. I can't believe it's already been five years, too. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's such a shame because obviously this was a big part of your life and it was it was stressful and uh, and you took some risks. And. it's just a shame they couldn't, if A&E decided to change his mind, that they couldn't sell it to somebody else. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't, I don't regret doing it, even it didn't come out. Um, I don't regret actually uh, making the attempt and actually trying to get in contact with my mom, because I think if I didn't do it, I would still have the... Um, the what ifs, you know? Right, right. What if I would have just tried harder? What if I, you know, I didn't do enough to try to get her out? And I think that kind of just gave me a piece to just say, you know what? I did everything I could. And now... And, and five years later, have you heard anything from her? No, not one bit. Not, oh. nothing, not... No emails, no phone calls, no nothing. And uh, we have relatives that speak to, I have uh, a great aunt that speaks to my mother and my grandmother, and she also speaks to me. Um, but she doesn't, uh, basically, even my great aunt who's in Russia, who is not a Scientologist, can't tell my mother and my grandmother that she's in contact with me. Wow. Because she tried to tell them 
like when she told him that our son has passed away, the response from my mother was that she cannot talk about me and she instructed her not to ever bring up my name again. Wow. So, you know, I would sometimes, I don't, I don't even ask, honestly, my relatives that speak to them, that communicate to them. I don't even ask them anymore. Hey, have you heard? Is there anything new? How are they doing? Um, I don't know. I just kind of give up. I don't know. It's to me, it just seems a little bit useless. I don't know. I, I, I feel like, um, I've given them a plenty of opportunity to want to be involved in my life. And at this point, it's their choice not to be. And um, I'm just going to, you know, keep living my life and be happy. And that's it. Well, I'm so glad to hear that you're able to do that. Uh, I know it's got to be so hard, but you do um, have good things going on in your life, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm married. I have a wonderful husband. We have a son. He's amazing. How old is he now? He just turned six. Six years old. That's great. Time flies. And I have a good life. I have my own family now. I mean, I feel like I used to joke all the time in the past and say, like, oh, I'm an orphan. (laughs) But I kind of have my own little family now. And, um, I just enjoy life and I enjoy time with, with my son and my family and just try to make the best of it. Great. Well, Katrina, thank you so much for going through all this awful stuff again. I hate to drag it all up, but like you said, it was probably worth doing. And, uh, you did give your mother that opportunity and, uh, it's just a shame that sirens couldn't show the rest of the world. Yeah. That's um, or A and E. I, I should say A and E, not Siren. I mean, Sirens did yeah. its job, right? Yeah. Yes, uh, Sirens did its job, and they fulfilled the contract. But um, you know, it's um, mm, I think if um, even if they don't, even if they don't air our show, but if they ever did something similar to that, that I think it is very different. Uh content that has been put out about Scientology a lot of content that has been out is more of people um uh speaking about their stories and describing their stories um but to actually see uh all of this you know in real time kind of like boots on the ground and literally see how Scientology works it's like a very similar to uh, Leah Remini's episode when they went, remember, and they sat at that park bench and, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. it just, it just really communicates the craziness, the bizarre right. and the, the circus of it. Yeah. Well, gosh, I mean, that's been the whole thing during this limited podcast series is just the disappointment that we didn't get to see this stuff because it sounded like they'd come up with a, a, a way of shooting things that was a little bit, you know, live and happening. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, Katrina, thank you so much for talking to me about all this stuff and who knows, maybe we'll someday we'll get a chance to see it. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye. <laughs>